Thank you. I'm sure you don't want to say anything, right? You'll wait till the end. Yeah. When she talks to you back at the table, because she's just, that's not her thing. I'll get in trouble if I say, come on up and give a word. She'll give me a word. <laughs> It'll be a singular word. <laughs> so very honored to be here. And it's interesting having, you know, Wesley even introduce this because uh, it's come full circle and it's such a joy uh, to, and you always want not only your own kids, of course, but your spiritual kids to, to really grow and mature and go so much further and do so much more. And it's wonderful to see where she's at. And I know by the time <coughs> I breathe my last, she'll have surpassed way, way, way more, which is our desire. And many others that her lives touch and many others that we know and have other spiritual kids at different places. You just long for that, just like you do for your own kids. You really do. Um, and so that comes from the Father, by the way, that he wants us all to be so much like Jesus because Jesus only went certain places, as you know. He, he never even saw all of Israel personally. Do you realize that? He never even went and saw all of Israel. And Israel is pretty small. And so when he said greater things that you'll do, um, it's not greater in, in the depth because he did the ultimate, which is the raising of the dead. That is like the most ultimate miracle that there is. And he did it. He did it a few times. Uh, but it was the breadth for all of us, all of us who call ourselves by his name through the centuries and even the millennia to go places that he never did, that he's leading and guiding. And of course, ultimately at the very end of ends, it says there will be people from every tribe, tongue and nation worshiping before the Lord. Uh, he says it twice, uh, Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. So we see two, sec two separate intervals where that takes place. Uh, and that's the proof that we do the greater things even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes when you look at it, but we really do, and ultimately we do what he said, which is preach the gospel, make disciples, all nations, teach them everything I ever taught you, and I'll always be with you. If we get a hold of that and realize, because that's the only thing stopping us at this point. It really is. If you look even through and all the generations that thought they were going to get the job done, and they haven't, and the truth is we haven't even come close. Even with all the technology, all the money, all the people, the only thing we lack is the obedience. And that's it. It is only obedience that is waiting to get the job done. And the cool thing is it does get done. The, the deal is does it get done with us? Does it get done within us and the next generations? Because all of it is available to be had. And he told us it was. It's just will we do it? Uh, the cool thing is we do know it gets done. It's going to get done. You've got to have that as your hope. You've got to have that as the, the revelation knowledge. It does get done. As someone way back in the 50s on TV said, I read the end of the book. It used to be what they'd say. I read the end of the book, and we win, and it happens. And that should bring you great hope. I know that's one of the things that keeps us going, speaking, praying, fasting, seeking, prophesying, being in the city of nations where it seems like it's never going to happen because it's just so big a job, but it gets done, hallelujah, and it's going to get done everywhere, and we're actually closer now in some ways than ever when you realize that 200,000 people a day are meeting Jesus around the world, every single day, 200,000 people. Now, it sounds great, and it is, and I'm thankful for it, 
but half the world still has no gospel, no preacher, no teacher, no Bible, even their own languages. So we got a lot of work to do. It's interesting as well, we mentioned it this morning, we just happened to be saying it, that half the world has no gospel, half the world is 21 years old or less, and of that 21 years old or less, 65% are women in the earth. No gospel, no teacher, no preacher, no Bible, and they're going to get reached though. They will get reached. It's on us though about the passion and about the obedience and how serious we are about getting that done because that is the heart and that is the passion, that is the mission of God. I mean, say a lot of other things, but that's what he's about. That's what he's all about. That's why every decision we make, everything we do, all of our prayers, all of it, as it comes together about seeking the king and his kingdom, it has to be that that's at the very heart of it, Lord, that we do what you said and that people really do come to know you. And they're going to come to know you to the degree that we know you and act like you, love like you, serve like you, and go where they are, not just believe they'll come in because most times they're not going to come in. You got to go to them. You got to be the mobile church. You have to be. And yes, bring them in, come in, have meetings like this, but it's the idea is to pray and worship and get built up and edify and encourage one another so you go out there and get the work done. And I know as I drove around here today, you're probably thinking, brother, you have no idea what it's like to be rural when I have more people on my block than you have in three towns. I get that. But it doesn't change what he's given us to do. It just doesn't change. People are people. And I know there's different things about those in Maine. I mean, I know all the jokes. I've heard them. And, you know, I've got friends from Maine. I wrote them today. He goes, yeah, I, I grew up just an hour from here. What did I say the name of the town was? Yeah, just down the road. His mom's still there. And I worship with him. He's in New York City. And anyway, you got to, it, it's the heart, it's the passion, it's the desire. It's, it's keeping singleness of focus and going after those that the Lord loves. And that's not the me- that's not the message tonight, but I just felt like to exhort you. And by the way, just I was going to come up and grab the mic when Wesley was finishing. He actually said the scripture at the very very end. I just want to share this with you. I felt like the Lord was saying, "Some of you have been straying, some of you have not been obeying, but my love for you has never changed." And that's what I was going to sing a number of times over, just because the Lord is drawing you in. It is His love, and it is seeing. I felt like the Lord was saying, "Behold the cross." Behold the cross now. If you want to know the love of God, we always go back to the cross because that's where we see the ultimate love and sacrifice given. And most times, the depth of revelation that you get is going to be because God has brought you back to the cross. You go back to the cross, and you live within the shadow of the cross. Or as one man said years ago, embrace the cross. Bob Mumford said even further, kiss the cross. Kiss the cross. And really, that would mean kiss the one who's on the throne, which is Psalm 2. Right? Kiss the son. And I know the next verse is really messy for most people because it says, basically, if you don't, he's going to get you. <laughs> and it does. But he's saying that in, in terms, if you read the whole thing about kings and nations and how we're to live and what we're to do and even binding and all those things. But he says, embrace the son, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And part of that is because it grieves him, it hurts him, but he doesn't stop loving. He doesn't stop loving. And we've got to get a hold of that because when we mess up or when we fail or when we stray or when we're not obedient or whatever the case may be, we tend to begin to hear the enemy say, he don't love you no more. He don't want you no more. He doesn't care about you no more. You blew it. You're too far gone. It's too long. It's too many days. Too ma-. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe because it's the opposite of what God says and what his word has declared. And you have to understand one of the most basic things about spiritual warfare is if God is for it, the enemy's against it. And if the enemy's for it, God is against it. 
And that's why it's not so hard to discern what's often the enemy and what's from God. It's just like the voices that you hear. I know most of them sound like your own thoughts, right? They do. A lot of times you say, well, God, that was really you. How am I to discern? A lot of times it's because of what is said. That's the key. And then the way it's being said to you. And you should know, and most of us know, I have found through the years, people know the voice of the enemy far better than they know the voice of the Spirit of God. And there's a reason for that. You've given more time to it. You've developed an ear to hear the enemy more, right? And so if we will put that same thought and pattern and, and habit into hearing his voice and knowing his scripture, it's much easier to hear. And then it is a point, do we believe and will we walk in it? And that's kind of leading me tonight. And I'm going to try to intersperse some things because I know we only have till 2 a.m. because we're doing something in the morning later. And he brought his jammies, so hallelujah, we're all set. And tomorrow should be a day off for most everybody, right? What was that last week, Labor Day? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. So I want to share with you tonight some basic things, but really it's about pleasing the Lord. It comes down to pleasing the Lord, and I'm going to give you some basic principles, but then I want to take a good look at, at a man who was really at least the first one that it was said of and how he pleased the Lord, and I think you'll find the parallels are so amazing. Uh, but i just give you a couple things to start. It really starts with Jesus, and John 5:19 says this, Jesus answered these, saying, I tell you, the son is able to do nothing of himself, nothing of his own accord. He is only able to do what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does is what the son does in the same way. And there's quite a number of other scriptures that go along with that that would be similar. But I want you to hear, again, this is the son of God. This is Jesus himself bearing his heart and letting you in on the priorities and the purpose of his life and being really humble Right? And yet so transparent, which is partial what humility is, to tell you to think that the Holy Spirit through him would not only say it but write it, I can do nothing of myself. I can do nothing. I mean, that's, that's a great place to start. And it would almost seem like, wow, that's just, of course you can. You're the son of God. But Philippians 2 makes it very clear that that which makes God God, he laid aside. Even though he's 100% God and 100% man, all the things, all the attributes, all the things that we normally would look at, he laid them aside. And he became and took on human flesh, right? We know that. And that's the part that kind of messes with us because we, we don't like too much to look at his humanity, right? Because if we do, then we realize, oh, my goodness, I'm more responsible. But if I look at it only as the Son of God, that's how he could have this relationship with his Father. That's how he could do all the signs, wonders, and miracles. That's how he could leave a town after healing everybody and go to another town. That's how he could get up at 3 a.m. and go have prayer and guidance and leading because he's God. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what he's trying to say here. He's saying, I laid all those aside, all those attributes, all the things that make God God, he laid aside. So in other words, he was functioning in the same way that you and I do, to have the same needs, have the same desire. And yes, he was led, and he did, but he said, I can't do anything without him. I constantly look at my father. I only do what I see him do. And he went further in another passage, said, and I only say what I hear him say. So we have seeing and hearing. And you see, those basic principles, the majority of us know. I'm sure you do. And if not, I would just strongly encourage you. Well, thank you. I actually had one in my, my, my thing there. Yeah, yeah, why don't you hand me that? No, nope. down below in the bag. There you go. In the bag. You're right there, dear. You're in it. There it is. It's a miracle. <gasps> We're going to be living in hope. Eventually, I'll probably drink it. 
Another verse, John 5.30, I'm able to do nothing by myself, independent of my own accord. But now, only as I'm taught by God and I get his orders, even as I hear, then I judge, and I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, this is again, this is out of the Amplified, so it's a little different than yours, but I like it because, again, it's the hearing and the seeing and making it clear. He goes, then I make a decision. And my judgments are always right. They're always just. They're always righteous because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself. My aim, and I like to add this personally, my only aim, my only purpose is the will and the pleasure of the Father who sent me. And again, he's putting this all together for us to see this is what it's going to take for us. And they're more than just, okay, isn't this wonderful principles? Yes, we can put it on the plaque, probably make a bumper sticker. But is it life? Is it life giving to us? Do we get into that point, into that place? And you see, I think in these days what I'm finding is if we're not broken, if we're not kind of absolutely dependent on the Lord, you won't know these things. You won't really be able to walk in them. But when you are broken, when things are not going well often, or when you're in contention against the darkness so much, you come into this same place of Jesus, and the first thing you say is, Father, I can't do this apart from you. I need you. I am desperate from you. If it doesn't happen with you, it's never going to happen. And we often think, oh, my goodness, what a wreck you must be. How, you're discipled? No, I don't think so. How long you been in the Lord? How long you been in the church? Why does it always seem that you're in such need all the time? Right? Because that's what the world says, and even people in the body will say, and you, I'm like, you guys are clueless. Just, and I don't mean you. No. Okay. Everybody else. You know, we're clueless. Right? I, it's, it's the broken who need the most help. It's those that are humble that need the most from him. And here's Jesus himself. Remember, sinless Jesus. Perfect Jesus. And he says, yeah, I can't do anything apart from you, Dad. Hence why I get up early to go seek your face, to worship, to pray, to declare your word. As a rabbi, it's pretty good that he knew the whole five books of the Old Testament. Memorized most rabbis of his day and even many today and even the little kids in New York City in the Shiva, they're learning the scriptures. Psalms, Proverbs, wisdom. And they can just flow right with that. Jesus did the same. So again, he says, I can do nothing apart from him. I am taught by him. I hear. I listen to his voice. I don't seek my own will. Now think about that. You know, think about that. Can we really say that? I don't seek my own will in this matter. Right? That's a tough one. Right? Because our will, even though we'd love to quote with Jesus, my will is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Hallelujah. And that's great. And I, pr I pray and I would applaud you if that's the majority of your life. Uh, but for most of us, it's not. And isn't it that we consult our own will? Isn't that we often try to find another way to do what he has said or find a way to get out of what he said the way he said to do it? Because we think our will is more important, but then we realize, oh, my goodness, there's consequences because I didn't do it the way he said, right? And I love this. He said, I only look for the pleasure. I'm only seeking after the pleasure. I only want to please the one who sent me. And that's really what this comes down to. And there's a lot on it. Years and years ago, I did a whole series on it on please, pleases, and pleasing. And there's many, many scriptures. We would literally take weeks and weeks to go through them all. 
and I encourage you on your own time. Just open up one time and start going through it yourself. And maybe even if you're taking notes at all tonight, just grab some of these uh, and it will really help you. Because it ultimately comes back to that. And Jesus is saying that in that scripture. I only want to do what pleases my father. I only want to do what pleases my father. And if we start getting that in our minds and in our hearts and becoming our walk, it's going to change everything. And I mean it's going to change everything. One last scripture, then we'll move ahead because I can take a little time to get through uh, the person that I'm going to share with tonight. Ephesians 5, one of my favorites. And also, by the way, as we worship tonight, I had such a sense that uh, I know, and she kind of teased it, there's only five of them, and we teased at dinner tonight that, you know, when the worship team's up, we're, we're singing for the chairs, and and, uh, and that's okay, because the only one who matters is here anyway, and it's not me and Robin, okay, it's it's the Lord that is here, and but I really felt like that there was a light being shined here, going out through a darkness here, and also I've been meditating on Carmel since we started driving through the town and remembering what it was, that who was going to serve, who you're going to serve. Who's going to be worshipped? Where's the fire going to come from? And are we going to make it difficult even on the Lord by, and I love what they did. They dug all around a big pit and they filled it with water. Filled it with water. So, boy, if the fire came, and assuredly it did. And the first thing it says is when the fire came and it hit the altar, the next verse said, and it licked up all the water that was surrounding it. And just that's, that's fire. So what he did, Elijah, was make it difficult. Why? Not because it was difficult for the Lord, but he wanted the people to see. He wanted them to really see, not only is fire going to come, but I'm going to soak this altar. So you're going to have no excuse when the fire comes and licks up all this water around, plus all those false prophets we're going to see, and all those that were cutting and crying and screaming out, calling for their God. And you know, he mocked them. I don't know if you remember seeing that, but, but Elijah mocked them, okay? And he wasn't mocking just for mocking sake. He was just trying to get them so stirred up that whatever they were going to do was going to be so obvious. So when he did what he knew he was going to do, it was going to be obvious that God showed up by fire. And I believe God's going to show up here by fire in your worship and even in your preaching. And I had such a sense that the Lord was going to come and even bring others to you from around here that don't seem to be being seen right now. And you may not even know them, but I had a sense and a feeling, you know, I used the term come out of the woodworks. I heard it coming out of the works. People are going to come out of the woods, and they're going to come when the fire of God is here and the worship is going up because worship involves sacrifice, and as you sacrifice, the fire falls. Right? And your lives, of course, according to Romans 12, that's what we're to be, a living sacrifice, a living fired sacrifice. So I want to say that and believe that that's going to be taking place here as well. So it's interesting. Ephesians 5, 8 to 10 says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Lead the lives of those, I love the Amplified says this, native born to the light. For the very fruit and the effect and the product of the light and of the spirit consists in every form of kindly goodness, uprightness of heart, and trueness of life. And then I love verse 10, and this is the part that's so important. And try to learn in your experience what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to learn what is pleasing. You see, that takes it out of some of the things that we talked about already, looking at the obvious things of Jesus that he said that are clear that we made, but it's also the extra that comes out of right relationship, and you try to find what is pleasing. Like, for instance, if you're married and you get watching these guys today, it's, it's interesting. Robin and I, we just hit 37 years of marriage, and they're like in the first six months, and they're really figuring out a lot of stuff. 
right? I mean, I watched him figure out two or three things myself today, right? It was really cool, including don't cut yourself with that knife. And she's pulling out this puppy like this, you know. It's like, and he's watching her. He's checking her. She's getting nervous. It's like, watch the knife. You know. So you're learning. You're learning all kinds of stuff, you know. Everything, I mean, everything's new. Everything's fresh, you know. When you live with someone, it's very different than courting and seeing them. You know, besides their stinky feet and smelly breath in the morning, there's all kinds of stuff you got to deal with, right? And you're learning it, and you keep learning it. But one of the things you'll do, and I know that about Wesley especially because she's very thoughtful. She would, I mean, I still get cards from her. I still get things on, on birthdays that she will write. And, and it, she, you know, I don't get a lot of that. I don't look for a lot of that. But, boy, you get that. You're like, man, that was so blessed. I was so pleased. It ministered to me. And what happens is people that you love or care for, not everybody is able to do this. Let me just throw that out there because of giftings and personalities or just inability. But there's something that you're going to find. Don't you want to please somebody if you love them, if you care for them? You look to do things to please, to honor, to appreciate. Even if they're things you don't like, you don't enjoy, not even called to. Boy, we love that one. You know, not lead, and that's because you have lead poisoning. But it's we just don't want to. But when you start to and you want to, and you, and you make yourself get into that place, the joy is that the person is pleased. That's what blesses you, right? That's what blesses you. And you find that, and you look for that. Even if you don't enjoy it, you don't get much out of it. It's, you know, like going into Martin's today. You know, I saw the whole store in under three minutes. Aisle one was sufficient. So I walked outside, and I sat down next to the pumpkins, and I got as red as they did, you know? I mean, but I knew Robin would just absolutely love it. And when she said, we're going to call at 120 to see how everybody's doing, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Well, the call came at 135, and it didn't matter. She still stayed another 15 minutes. Yeah, but it's, she's happy. She's joyful. My car was empty on the way up. It's full going home. I mean, it's just, she, and I still have more to pick up tomorrow. That's right. Amen. Amen me. Amen. Amen has to deal with this stuff. But anyhow, so. But if it pleases her, I'm then blessed. I'm then blessed, right? And so if you find those things, you look for those things, that's what I love about this scripture. Listen to it. To hear yourself. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now think about that. If we can do that for our wives, our friends, our children, our kids, our coworkers, what will it mean to look to the Lord and say, what could I do today, Lord, to please you? What would this extra bless mean? Is there something I could say? Is there something that I could do that would put a big old smile on your face? And, of course, we could immediately get very biblical, theological, practical, theoretical, and do all that he just says. Yes, and that's going to bless him. That's going to please him. It will, and we're going to actually get to some of that in a little bit. But I mean the little things that are just looking for, I wonder, you know, like somebody gives you a gift out of the blue. Doesn't that just like, wow, somebody thought about me. Some, some, I, I'm of value to somebody. Somebody thought extra of me today, and they said this, or they passed a note or something, or they sent a word or a scripture, and it's like, man, that felt so good. And think about the Lord with that. Let me just give you one thought. 7.3 billion people in the earth today. The majority don't know him, don't want him, actually hate him, and want nothing to do with him. Ooh, I wonder what we could say or do to help alleviate that pain and suffering and hurt and grief and sorrow. That one would be just living opposite of that. That would be pretty cool. But how about 
You ever think about passing the note to Jesus? Right? How many remember second or third grade? Anybody? How many were in love? Okay, maybe it was only me. I passed notes. Because <laughs> I fell in love with a girl named Carol. And I wanted her to know it. And it's a whole story most of you know, don't know. Carol was the neighbor two doors down. And outside of school, she loved me. In school, she couldn't let anybody know she even liked me, so she made fun of me. And it was very painful, but I loved at 2.30 or so when we would get out of school, I would meet her by the door and we'd take hands. I had sweaty palms over Carol. And we would walk those two blocks to her house every day. She didn't care what anybody saw outside, but in school, you know, because you would be picked on and made fun of. What are you doing with Van Creek? <laughs> and I was only eight and it was still a mess. But it was something about, and so past notes. How many past notes? How many cheated like I did? Oh, you're lying. Well, thank you for the honesty, brother. Yeah, thank you over here. See, the conviction is growing. Yes, I finally hit the part of a Lord warning tonight. But try to learn in your experience what is pleasing to the Lord. What's most acceptable to him? And I'm, I'm giving you this because, you see, out of love and out of intimacy, there are things you can say and do besides just let someone be obedient and faithful to the word. But in a sense, you know, passing a note to the Lord or, or letting them know, Lord, I know that this would really please you today. And so I want to do this today. I want to share this with you today out of intimacy, out of love. Right? There's a whole bunch of things. But let me get to what I really want to share tonight. This has been on me all summer. I haven't been able to get away from it. And I've been trying to find uh, each, and I've shared it a couple different places, but more of just how does it apply here? How does it apply to us? And there's so many parallels of what is going on in the life of this person and it has just absolutely rocked me and, and shook me. So tonight, we're going to go back, and we sang about foundations tonight, right? We found and some things, and, and I love the book of Genesis, always have. It's, it's the book of beginnings, as you know. It's a book of first, but you can also look at it and say it's the foundations. It's the book of foundations. And I don't think you could ever get enough of it. I don't think on this life we'll ever get to the, uh, to the finality of every single part of it as far as uh, intimacy and understanding and and the grace that God would have and the insight and the wisdom and the revelation of it, it is just so deep. I mean, just the first couple of chapters really should set you off forever. I mean, it is just amazing. So I want to talk about the second Enoch tonight. I want to talk about the second Enoch. Uh, some might wonder why. what happened to the first one. Well, the first one, uh, as you know, uh, it was Cain's wife who happened to be his sister, and so it also is a, is a matter of first that he was the first of them. And it was the first city that was ever named was the city of Enoch. Okay. And you don't hear too much about him. So I want to talk about the second Enoch. And really he was far greater than number one in spite of having the city and the first ever named. Uh, and let me just give you a couple of scriptures and then we're going to, we're going to dig in. It's, let me just point this out too, that it's one of these where I think there's seven Six or seven total scriptures about Enoch in the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. And you would think, well, how can you get so much out of it? How can I get an eight-week series on it? How can you do so much out of just? Well, when you hear what it is, then it's not too hard to see it how to develop. And then when you look back and realize what the timing was, what the culture was, what was going on in that particular time period, which was the seventh generation, uh, there's lots. Let me just give you a couple things. So Genesis 5, 18 to 24. Jared, and not Subway Jared, but Jared was 162 years old, and then Enoch was born. 
Jared lived after the birth of Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So Jared lived 962 years, and he died. Now, here's the first mention of second Enoch. And when, e well, second, because it said Enoch was born there in verse 18. So now Enoch is 65 years old, and Methuselah was born. Now, how many went to Sunday school growing up here? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Five, 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 five. Okay. Didn't you hear in that that he was the oldest man ever living? How many remember that? And now for the third prize tonight, how old was he? Nope. Yeah. 969. You were thinking close to Adam. I think Adam was 932. Maybe. I'd have to peek on that one. But anyhow, 969. Okay, so listen to it again. Enoch was 65 years old. Methuselah was born. Now, here's one of the biggies, verse 22. Now, I want you to get this, and I pray you'll, you'll only get so much out of what I'm sharing tonight. I encourage you strongly. Face God. Pray over these. Take these scriptures. Meditate on them. And let him really get a hold of you and use maybe some of what you hear tonight. But to really get this. So it says this, verse 22. Enoch walked. Say walked. He walked, and it amplifies, says, in habitual fellowship with God after the birth of Methuselah, 300 years. And he then had other sons and daughters, and then it's just right there. And all the days of Enoch were 365. So a relatively young man, considering others were at 962, Right? But I want you to hear that, and just this is what got me, because I've known these things, I've heard these things, and years ago, I, like I said, I get excited, but something was new this time. Something was just different this time as I started looking into this and realizing what's going on in our world today, and looking at him, it just made more sense. So here it is, 65 years old, and the, the birth of his son. Then it says the next verse, Enoch walked in this habitual fellowship with God after the birth for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters, and then all the days of Enoch were 365. And then verse 24, Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God, and he was not, for God took him home. And that's a direct quote from Hebrews 11.5. And it's interesting, if you go back, most of us do not memorize that scripture, but we memorize the next one, Hebrews 11.6. How many know Hebrews 11.6 without keeping or peeking in your Bible? I'll start it with you. Without faith it is because... Uh-oh, Bible school time. Nobody? There's your first lesson. Grab it tonight and you'll catch it. It's very simple because you first must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of all those that diligently seek him. It's interesting. Last week I did a Chinese retreat for a church uh, over in Jersey, and they heard me preach one small portion of this, and the youth guy decided nobody eats breakfast till they memorize that scripture. It was so funny. They come to breakfast in the morning. They're exhausted and they're drained. And he's like, password. <laughs> That's the password. You got to get the. And half of them got it and other half couldn't. And some had to wait. They had to memorize it outside before they came in. I'm like, hallelujah. I love this guy. This is wonderful. You know, he's like building his own little wall of China right here with the scripture. You know, yeah, don't get in until you memorize. And then they came in and they got it. And then he did them in the next scripture. So they memorized 11, 5 and 6. And the reason I say that. Because to read it in the proper order in the context, uh, and I love it. We actually preached on that for eight months a number of years ago. All of Hebrews 11 just took it verse by verse by verse in the different stories. Even the ones that said there's not enough time for I preached on them. I had the time. I made the time. 
There's like six or seven other people, including Samson and Jephthah and others. But here it was. It said, by faith. Right? Most of us start with that. By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by, but by faith Enoch. By faith Enoch. He walked and it was said of him that he pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's how five and six completely go together. And that's part of what got me going on this was to realize that if this made the wall and the hall of faith, then we better take another good look at it to see what this faith really developed and how and the way it happened with him. And to realize when he put those words together that without faith we're not pleasing to God. And it goes along with other scriptures like if those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right, and disobedience can't, you're not in faith if you're in disobedience and on and on. But it's like here he's saying and it just, it just hit me again and realized, my goodness, we're talking the seventh generation. So I better go back into the foundations, take another look. And so we did. So I want you to hear just a couple things first that just seems so significant. So Genesis 6, 5 to 7, this is what the Lord says now in the 10th generation. But he's looking back, and he's not just simply saying, okay, on this day, I'm now looking out. No, he saw it happening as soon as the fall of man came, of course, that it was just getting worse and worse and worse. So God says this in chapter 6, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that, say every, every imagination and intention of all human thinking was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord then says, I'm going to destroy and blot out and wipe away mankind whom I've created from the face of the ground. Not only man, but even the beasts and the creeping things and the birds of the air. For it grieves me, another same word that he used, and makes me regretful that I ever made them. And those are some of the most difficult passages because a lot of questions arise from that. Tons and tons of questions. Not that I'm going to go through them tonight. But I want to I give you this one because you know what word pictures are and you know what idioms are. And the literal Hebraic word and the picture that goes with it is really kind of amazing because it's as if somebody came, and I like to think of it as Rocky because, of course, Rocky had a great punch. So he was a lefty, a southpaw, but just had a great punch. I mean, that's, that's how you have seven films, and when he's 88, he's already signed to do another fighting his great-great-grandson. But anyhow, it's just so he, it's like somebody like Rocky came up to God's belly and gave him the most massive punch, and it knocked the wind out of God. Now, I want you to think about that as a word picture. So when he says, I regret, my heart is grieved that I ever made man. It's like somebody came up and just gave him such a wallop, it took all his breath away. That's pretty strong, right? He goes on to say, the earth is depraved. It's putrid. The land is filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and all kinds of lust for power. And God looked upon this world and saw how degenerate, debased, and vicious it was. All humanity had corrupted their way upon the earth and had lost their true direction. Now, when I'm reading that again, I'm like, was he talking today? And yet he's talking now. That's technically the 10th generation, but he's really looking back, and that's what it really is to understand, looking back through all 10 generations, which includes the 7th generation of Enoch. And I'm laying this out so you'll catch this to just see. And, of course, we have so many more people in the earth today. Even scholars for that time are unsure 
most of them are saying it could be anywhere between 30 and 80,000 people on the earth, which is a pittance compared to today's 7.3 billion, or the potential of some even believe there's been anywhere between 80 and 100 billion since the beginning of time. Others are far, far less. Some are looking into 2025, but that's because it just can't be perfectly sure. But either way, that's not a lot of people, but to consider that God's word and his indictment against them is every man, every thought, out of every man is only evil and wicked continuously to the degree that I am sorry, I am grieved, I'm in pain, I have no breath left that I made man. So I'm going to start again. I'm going to wipe him out, and I'm going to start again. And I don't think sometimes we take enough time to think of the pain and the grief and the sorrow that's in God's heart, not only then, but now. If it was enough with, say, 100,000 in the earth, what is the pain and sorrow after 100 billion? And every one of them has walked from God, never sought God, it says in Isaiah. Wicked, unbelieving, all of us, every one of us, bought and sold through sin. And yet he's the one who says, I love you, I care for you, I want you, I desire you. While you were yet sinners, I died. Before you ever sought me, before you ever wanted anything to do with me, I paid the price for you. That's how much I want to buy you back. I want to redeem you. I want to restore you. I want to reconcile you. And that's pretty amazing. So once you hear the whole earth is filled with a culture of wickedness of every kind. Minds filled only with evil thoughts and intentions. And it doesn't seem that way today. More than ever, are we seeing it played out, especially on social media? And whether you're looking at things just politically, governmentally, or whether you're looking at just how people dialogue and deal with each other, man, doesn't it make you just sometimes want to say, Lord, enough is enough. And you know what? He says it too. All men are depraved in all of their thoughts and all their actions. Men in the whole earth filled with rebellion, violence, filled with lusts of all kinds, for power, for sex, anger, rage, and violence. He said, that's what this whole earth has become. And, of course, he went on, and I won't give it to you, but you know he then looked and found Noah and said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, Noah, <laughs> you want his grandson. Interesting, huh? So here's a couple things, and this just to go back on it, he's living for 65 years the same as everybody else. Lusting, wicked, violence, anger, rage. Imagine, when God says every, he's not just generalizing. He is literally saying every man, everything has been touched. All of this sin from Adam on up is just on everybody. Something happened, and this is what I had never seen before, and just I guess I just passed over it. But something took place at 65 years old when Methuselah was born, and he had a son. Something took place in him, and I picture it as he sees, because it's his first son. And you know what happens sometimes on your first kid, especially with dads. No matter what you've been, good, bad, or ugly, that reality of that little bundle, which, of course, they're all gorgeous, even if they're homely and ugly. They're all gorgeous. They're just gorgeous no matter what they look like. You just, something changes in your heart. And all of a sudden, responsibility and thoughts of how to protect, how to provide, how to care, how to love start flowing in you. It's a natural thing. God made it even for those that are wicked. I've watched it. 
I've watched it in men throughout the years, even drug addicts and alcoholics. Something has happened when that takes place. Well, something happened in Enoch because something changed so drastically that God himself and the Holy Spirit brings it up and says from that point when Methuselah was born, and he goes out of his way to say it and give us the numbers that he then began and had intimate fellowship and walked and was pleasing to God for 300 years. And that just, 300 years. And how could that be? And that's what I kept going. No Holy Spirit as we know in the earth, though here, yes, but not not available. Didn't Nobody had him. He wasn't in anybody. We haven't seen anything that said he would come upon somebody. That came later. No word. No physical written out word. Everybody else around you wicked, lusting for power, sin everywhere. But something takes place when your boy is born. It's like automatic looking thing. God has given me this child. God has given me a son. Therefore, I want to get to know this God. I want to know everything I can about this God. And I began to look and think, what's it like to literally be the only man in the earth to look for God? The only man. Think about that. The only man on planet earth. Facing all the same temptations that everybody else did and he had. But now, all of a sudden, it's changed. He's no longer acting in wickedness. He's no longer acting in lust and sex and power and every evil thought continuously. Something has so transformed him, and it came through the birth of a son. And I'm telling you, this is not only the precursor, but the prophetic looking ahead to see what happens when the birth of a son named Jesus comes into the earth. To save all mankind, not just one man with one child who it says walked with God and was pleasing to God for 300 years. This is the first we see it. And it's so amazing. And I kept thinking about all these different things, and I'm still thinking about them, that what was it like every single day to wake up and be in that environment when all the sin and all the lust and all the violence and everything was around, wicked, evil, every place that you turned, and yet you faced it, saw it, and said, no, I just want to please God. I want to please God. I want to walk with God. He stayed faithful to God, even as the only one. And this is part of my encouragement to you guys today, because there's far more than one in here. And I know you're not here all the time, and maybe you'll start coming more all the time for special worship and prayer and intercession times and gathering yourselves together because I believe it is a time for that in this body. I really do. And in this area, in this region. And I don't know much about here, but I just, again, I keep saying people are going to come out of the woods to worship. As you pray and as you worship and as you believe and you declare and decree before God who he is and what he's doing in the earth, I think people are going to come and say, that's the God I want. That's who I want to know. That's the God who I need to know because my life is. And you'll be able to say, oh, yeah, he can change it because he changed me, changed you, changed each of us. We get to share our testimony. And it's an ongoing testimony. It's not just I was. It's I'm becoming. Right? Walked in fellowship. He stayed faithful. 
even though he was the only one. Loving, obeying, serving, worshiping. He was living to love and please God. It was his only passion. Walk with God and please God. I want to get to the point, and then we're going to have to take some time to pray. What is it to really walk? What was it like for him to really walk? And again, we can't go through all the details and all the scriptures, but there's one passage, and I think most of us know it from Amos. It's the most famous out of there. Do two walk together except they make an appointment and they've agreed? Most of your translations will not say appointment, but it, it basically means that, that you come together and you walk in agreement. Another place we can look at it is it's a covenant. And there's two covenants in this earth for us. The first one, of course, with God. The second, if you choose to marry. Those are your two covenants. And then you, of course, can look at all the different covenants. And I think there's like six or seven total, at least beginning with time, right? Abrahamic, Adamic, Noahic, right? We know all this. But these are the two. If you choose to get married, you're going to have two covenants. First with God and then, for, then with your wife or your, or your husband. And they're very, very important. And this is where this scripture is so important. It says, you come because you agree together, right? Like in coming into the Lord, you have to agree with God's assessment of your life. Is that right? You don't come ever saying, hey, God, you know, uh, you're worthy of me. <laughs> you might as well take me in. Right, God, you know, I'm your kid. Just take me in, you know. No, we would never say that. We agree, and we would say with him that even my very best, according to you, Lord, is a filthy rag. My absolute best, even in all that I can do to be pleasing and even trying to be blameless, trying to keep your word, trying to do everything. And I will tell you, some would disagree, and that's fine, but even now, guys, apart from Christ, it's the same. It's only because of Christ. It's only because of the work. It's only because of who he has made you to be in him. Because all of us have fallen. All of us. You know the scriptures, 3.23 and 16, if you read it alone. We've all fallen short. We all have nothing that we can bring at all. There's nothing we can do. Even when we say, yes, I was made in the image of God. Yes, you were. Past tense. <laughs> you were. A lot of things that we have in similarity with him. But that's what makes it so amazing that God loved us so much. He sent his son. Right? So we make this agreement. God, I agree that everything about you is true, everything about your word is true, and everything you say about me is true. And that means what I was, but it also means what I am now and what I'm becoming. But it's very difficult sometimes to get past the what I've been, what I've been, the fallenness, the failure, the mentality, the, the pride, the arrogance, all those different things, the self-righteousness, all the stuff that just seems like it doesn't let go of us. And it's not going to let go. It's you who's got to take it to the cross, and I have to take it. It's not just going to just snap a finger and it's gone. No, it's the old-fashioned way. You come to the cross, you confess, you repent, you return, he restores. Then rejoicing comes into your heart. It's the five R's of salvation and deliverance. It will always be the same. So I'm seeing this, and I'm looking because, again, he doesn't have Holy Spirit the way we do. He doesn't got Jesus there. He doesn't have the word. But what does he have? He initially starts with the natural revelation that there is a God. I see the heavens and the earth. I've heard the stories. I'm in the seventh generation. So Adam and all the way through, we know about Cain and Abel and others. 
We know about it. We know those things. But nobody walks with God. Nobody talks with God. It's only evil, evil, evil wickedness. But something happened to Enoch, and now he's like, I'm taking that which I know, and I'm going to start applying it. And every day I know I'm facing, I'm seeing, when I'm working, or I'm in the marketplace, or I'm around the guys. They're all wicked. They're all evil. They all can't believe that I'm doing what I'm doing. And even raising my son now, Methuselah, to live in righteousness. And so he had to face a lot of stuff, just like we do. And sometimes it's hard on your own to face that. Isn't that right? Especially when you first come into the Lord. Maybe you're like me, drug addict, alcoholic, perverted, all the junk. And once I came into the Lord, nobody wanted anything to do with me. And the truth was they really weren't my friends anyhow. They used me. I used them, made tons of money, didn't really care about them, but I wanted to be cared for. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be appreciated, and I didn't want it because there's an innate thing inside of us. I don't want to be just loved for what I do. I'd like to just be loved for who I am, but, of course, if you're as much a jerk as I was, nobody's going to love you, including her. Nobody else really does either because it's like a jerk loving a jerk. Who's the bigger jerk? I don't know. I don't like any of them. Right? That's what we're all faced with. So let me give you a few things that he did in his agreement with God so two could walk together. He walked to honor God. He walked in a close communion with God. And if you think about what he was living in and the culture around him, boy, that would draw you to want to be with him a lot, wouldn't it? Because you really want to hang out with the wicked. You really want to hang out with those that are filled with hatred and lust, sex, power, money, whatever they had, using and abusing one another all the time. To the point, again, you have to hear, be able to hear what God says in there, that every thought of man is only evil continually. In other words, not one good thought comes. It was gone. Just like it seems like it's gone today. Can't have a civil conversation with somebody. Can't have a differing opinion without the hatred and the vitriol and the rebellion and the pride and the cursing you out. God help you if in the open town square you claim to be a lover of Jesus. Anywhere. Well, you still need to, hallelujah. But it means you're going to want to be closer to him, walking in a close communion, walking in an agreement, obeying his word, seeking to be pleasing in all things. And here's the big thing. What does Hebrews 11 say? By faith. By faith. It's the first place that we ever see this taking place. It was by faith. It's the first person it is said of here for them. As a, as a man all by himself, he walked by faith. In spite of all that he constantly saw before him. I loved in their house today. They had the same thing we have in our house. We walk by faith, not by. But boy, we sure do see a lot. <laughs> and because of what we see, it's hard to walk by faith, isn't it? But that's why it's so important to keep your faith in the one that you see and you're running the race, eyes fixed only on him. Because if you just look around you, oh, my goodness, it's going to take you down. It's going to seem impossible. How are we ever going to get past this? God, even with the, the whole great commission and the kingdom of God coming in fullness and power for his rule and reign throughout the whole earth, how is it going to happen, God? It seems so impossible. When your body seems to be such a wreck and we're so disunified and we've got so much sin in the body. Here's why. He walked by faith. That's how you're going to get it. That's how you're going to walk in victory. That's what 1 John says. This is the victory that overcomes the earth, your faith. He walked in the fear of the Lord. He loved God, and he hated evil. I want to tell you, when you're around that much as he was, and the same with us today, you better hate it. 
Love the person, yes, but hate that evil. Because if you don't hate it with the same kind of hatred that God has, pretty soon you'll start giving into it. Then you'll start justifying it and rationalizing it and living it out and walking it out with them, still thinking you're okay and pleasing to God. That's what hyper grace is all about. That's what the whole entire movement basically says, that grace which is meant to give you an overcoming of sin, according to Titus, that now it's okay. I'm going to sin every day in thought, word, and deed, and it's okay because of what Jesus did. I'm in him, and when I'm done on this earth, I'm still okay, and I'm gonna, he's going to take me up. I would, I would question that strongly if that's how you want to live because you've got to do away with uh, half the New Testament, which is about conduct and how to live and how to walk in God, right? And yet that's what's going on for a great degree. Those who walk in that particular doctrine walk in no fear of the Lord. There's no fear of God. Fear of God is very simple. Love God the way he deserves and desires and hate sin the way he hates it. That's why I said it's the beginning of wisdom. And so used to see our nation walk in the fear of the Lord to a great degree. And now that's what we're going to get back to. And as an awakening and revival and reformation come, you're going to see it's going to be one of the number one things that is back in the church, the fear of the Lord. Love God, hate sin. Love God, hate sin. All sin, yours, others, and not giving into it, not being overwhelmed and overcome by it. I love the word that he gives to Cain. Isn't it amazing? He said, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. I'm like, whoa, what a word to say to the person who just killed his brother. And he's going to be on the run, and he's freaking out. He doesn't know how he's going to live. I was like, sin, it's at your door. It's already gotten a little of you, but it's crouching. It's coming after more. It wants more. You didn't just kill your brother. It's got other things planned for you, but you can master it. Can you imagine saying that today when you can master your sin? Wow. And he's saying that again to someone without Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, without a relationship with God on the outs with God, and yet God's still speaking and caring and loving him, and he showed a great deal of mercy. Remember he said, God, the burden is too great. I cannot handle it. Please don't put me out here alone because anybody else comes along, they're going to see this mark. Remember because God marked them? He said, okay. God's so merciful. He's so gracious. He's so kind. He refused to give in to the fear of man, and that's the, the other simple truth. You're either going to fear man or fear God. And it'll be different levels at different times. Yes, you'll fear God, a little bit of man until you're fully delivered. But you want to be fully delivered from the fear of man, just begin to fear God. Love and submit and be in awe and worship God. And the fear, please don't think of it as, oh, no, God's going to get me at every turn. Well, he can, but he's not going to unless you persist. And that's on you. If you want to persist in sin, if you want to persist in doing what he says is wrong and hurts and offends and grieves him, then eventually the consequences are going to come including from him. But it's not his desire. He's a good dad. He's a good father. No father wants that for his kids ever. That's why he warns and teaches and corrects and disciplines and tries to get around you to keep that from happening. Guaranteed, that's what uh, Enoch had to do with Methuselah. Doesn't say it, but I can tell you, growing kids up, and especially imagine again, you're the only man in all the people, and of course you're going to take care of your kid. You're going to protect. You're going to provide. You're going to guard him. You're going to teach him to live the opposite. I can see him teaching the lessons. You saw your friend over there, so-and-so, and he was vile, and he was wicked, and obscenities were flowing out of his mouth, and he's involved in sexual perversions. Son, we don't do that because we want to be pleasing to the Lord. We want to love God in the midst of all this perversity around us. He walked in true righteousness. He heard his voice, 
And he even spoke prophetically. Some forget that, but Jude says this. Let me just give you that. And nearing the end, can you say amen? Yes, but I hope you said it for the right reason. But anyhow, it was of these people that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied and said, Behold, the Lord comes with his myriads of holy ones, ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the impious and unholy ones of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the severe and abusive, jarring things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Wow. What do we have here? The first prophecy. Other than Genesis 3.15, which was the Lord's word. you got to remember that, right? And that was the first official prophetic word, right? And you probably all know that, and that's how it was through the cross and the putting down of the head over Satan and all that. But here's the first literal prophet, seventh generation, seventh meaning completion. Interesting, in a wicked, wicked world, seventh generation, God found a man that could be blameless and righteous after 65 years of sin. And all of a sudden, here he is prophesying. Now, that just puts it into a whole nother level because it almost sounds like I've been saying he's like, passively sitting by, pleasing God, walking with God around all the wickedness and just 300 years of just him and God. No, no. He was prophesying during this time. What's he prophesying? Was it a good word? No. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Judgment's And how many love to hear words of judgment even today? Anybody? You wake up in the morning and say, I want my cereal and my judgment. Right? Or my banana bread and put some chocolate in there. Give me some judgment, mama. Come on. No, no. Amazing to think in that time period that Enoch, who was walking and pleasing God, and part of that was living in faith, right? Living to please God. So his passion and his motivation is exactly the way it was in Jesus. And he's the first to have it said of him. And it behooves us to be the same. I want to walk and I want to please God. It is at the matter of our heart, our priorities, and our motivation out of love that that's how we want to walk. That's why it's so important to always go back in the foundations in the beginning to see how it's done and who it was done and all the ramifications. But now add to that that he speaks up in the midst of all this perversity and evil. He speaks up. And I'm not saying that's going to be for every single person, but I will in the sense of whoever is in your sphere of influence. Yes, you should be praying. Yes, you should be fasting. Yes, you should be in worship. But I want to encourage you and even challenge you tonight to begin to speak the truth and the word of the Lord, even if it's a judgment type of word, but do it with fear and trembling. Do it with grace. Don't let it be as it was here in that sense, because it's the only word that we hear, or at least that is written, that he gave. There could have been more. We don't know. It would be pure speculation. But can you imagine just for the fact if that was that that's not a word he spoke one time. It was continuous. It was during these years. And of course the painful part is we only know of Noah three generations later his grandson that got it and the few that he took on the boat didn't. By the way, he was a preacher of righteousness, too, and for 120 years preached and preached and preached and preached. And it was a great deal of faith because there had not been rain. They didn't know about rain. There was no rain happening. 
and he's building an ark for 120 years for something that he's never saw. But that was okay because he hadn't seen God either. But he heard God, and he believed God, and he spoke to God, and he spoke for God, and that's what I'm saying for us tonight. We need to be able to speak up in our time. We need to be able to love and serve and write and faith work it by love, and the love that you're going to serve and show to others often will be verbal, not just physical. It'll start with maybe physical and serving love. I love doing the food pantry. I think you guys are wonderful for doing that. But you need to be able to speak. Yes, to encourage. Yes, to love. Yes, to but there needs to be at times when the Lord has given enough relationship to be able to speak and say, this has to change. You can't keep living this way. You can't keep doing it this way. Loving enough to do so because that's what's being said here. And now let me get to the end and then we're done and we'll pray. I got a word for you at home tonight, Mama. to write it down and I'm going to I'm going to read it because the cool part is and I guess most of you know this but I just I just as I was looking and delving in and just what it must have been like or at least maybe what it was like in that 300th year of walking and pleasing God where it says that it was so pleasing to God that he just took him home Right? How many remember that? Do you remember that about Enoch? That's literally what took place. And I just, you know, and again, lack of time, so I can't give it all, but just thinking of, like I've been walking now, just, just hit 38 years. Anybody else in here longer with the Lord, 38 years or more? Somebody? 38 years or more, right? It's been amazing, huh? It really has. When you think of who God is and the grace and the love that's poured out in the revelation, and the transformation, and it's ongoing and will be to the day that we take our last breath. I'm watching it with my mom now. She's almost 90. She wants to go home tonight. I'm hoping it's still 90. Uh, she's ready. She wants to be with Jesus. She wants to be with my dad, and I get it. I get it. But I'm sitting here thinking if that's been, and if the Lord took me home tonight, man, there wouldn't be one complaint. In, well, I should maybe one little one. Because I felt like the Lord said that before my days was done, that I would see awakening, revival, and reformation among the nations. And I've held that. And I've held it for New York City as well. Because in 1996, on the floor at Pensacola, God opened the vision of that taking place in New York City. And he said, you're going to help bring it to pass. And I know that's part of what we contend for, and it seems like it's never going to happen. God has said it, and so if it didn't, I've been okay, you know, a few times, and many times I've missed it, God, but sure was a good dream and a good hope, and somebody's going to see it one day, and again, Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9 says it, but I began to think and think, if it's been this way for 38 years, and how long for you, sir, I'm just kind of curious, how long you've been walking with Jesus? Okay, so that is 62 years, and I know because I was born at 58, and I just hit 60. And that person who hit 30, enjoy it. I remember 30, 30 years ago. So you'll love it. It's wonderful. It was like coming out of your teens almost. It was like, I can't call myself a teen no more. But I'm actually maturing. Now at 30, you're maturing even more. It's kind of wonderful. And, of course, I still like to act like I'm a kid. But I, I don't mean to. But it's just kind of natural. Okay. So that would be 66. 
No. 68? I only passed the 10th grade. I am really sorry. That's the truth. <laughs> Mom was a teacher. Dad was a principal. And you can guess what I was so besides a dropout. But let me give you this. And I want you to close your eyes. I don't after I've been doing this only a couple times. And I just feel like there's something if you can close your eyes. And I want you to hear this for the Lord and maybe for yourself. Remember this. Three hundred years of walking and pleasing God. Walking and pleasing one who has not seen, but he hears. Walking in communion. Walking in fellowship. Walking in love. Walking in faith. Walking in worship. Walking in what he hears from him. And God's own word is that he walked with me. He was pleasing. And there comes a day, and this is what I'm going to just speak out, that what a day that must have been. Enoch, in his daily walking with God, he was talking, he was communing, he was ministering unto the Lord and worshiping. And all of a sudden, God says, Enoch, oh, Enoch, I so love you. I am so blessed by you. Oh, Enoch, your faithfulness to me through all these years, and you're always seeking to only please me and never yourself. Oh, Enoch, even in spite of all the constant wickedness and lusts and evil that is surrounding you continuously, yet you only desire to honor me. And Enoch, I have so enjoyed and been blessed by these last 300 years of intimate friendship and fellowship with you, that I can't handle it anymore, and that I want you here with me right now, Enoch, face to face with me forever. And Enoch responds to that. He says, oh, Father, that would be more than amazing, and it is what I've longed for ever since I was 65. Oh, God, I'm ready right now. Here I am. And in an instant, in the very next breath, he is there face to face with his God, with his lover, with his king, with his closest friend. And there he is forevermore. One of only two that never tasted death on this earth. And I say tonight, Father, that if this can happen, how much more can and will and should and must for us who have received the Son and forgiveness and mercy and a grace and an anointing that enables us to as well Walk with you in the sweetest of communion and fellowship in the same way by faith. <coughs> and yet you give us the seal of Holy Spirit who lives and dwells and abides within us. The very spirit of Christ, the very spirit of prophecy. The same one that gave him the prophetic words is the one who now lives and abides and dwells within us. And longs in the same way as he did as he walked for 300 years to want to be even closer and have him right there in his presence, literally. 
But, Lord, that's what you have done for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should even be called the children of God, sons and daughters bought from and through the Son, Messiah, and are given a new day and a new life and a new season and a new anointing to walk in the same faith in the midst of a perverse generation and wickedness and evil throughout the earth, but calling us to be sons of light and daughters of light, pouring out your spirit upon all flesh, even as you did 2,000 years ago, pouring it out anew and afresh today so that we might walk in the same way that others will see and know that there's a God because they see him in our lives through the love, through the grace, through the mercy, through the empowerment through our worship, through our prayers, through our daily loving and serving and caring for one another, putting you on display every day. The same one that promises us that we too one day are going to see you and be with you face to face. And it says when that day happens, we will see you exactly as you are and we will be like you, fully like you. And, Lord, in our hearts, I believe the majority of us, we long for that day. Even as Enoch longed for that day, and yet he waited faithfully, walking, pleasing, serving, giving, loving, raising up his son. That, Lord, we would have that same hunger and passion and desire more than ever today to walk and be pleasing to you. As we walk in a perverse and wicked time, Far worse than it even was then, Lord, because there's far more of us here and far more sin in the earth. And yet, God, your empowerment, your love in us gives us great hope and great faith that we do have in you. and a courage and a boldness that's rising up in this hour, and calling things that be not as though they are, decreeing and declaring your lordship and your kingdom to come, your will be done, and that we too would live to do the will of the Father who sent us and accomplish all his work in all the earth. That's why we bind our hearts together with you and with one another and encourage one another all the more as the days are drawing near because though Enoch was able to do it alone, most of us cannot. We need you. We need your body. We need your spirit. We need love from one another. We need edification and building. We need correction. We need instruction. We need accountability. We need others to help raise up our hands when we're hurting or when we're doubting or when it seems like it's never going to come to pass and you come along with someone filled with faith and unction and power and anointing, whether whoever, and it gets us back on, and we again believe, and we again receive the vision, and we receive fresh passion to go forth to preach the gospel and make disciples, all nations, tribes, and tongues, teaching everything you taught us, everything you're revealing to us. We look to pour into others and multiply the grace of God within us and multiply the faith of God within us. So they too can take it and teach and reach others. 
And knowing, Father, your promise, it's so amazing that I'll always be with you. 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 Lord, it is never us that you leave. It's us who have left you. And tonight, Lord, I believe we come back. And as Paul said, we present ourselves anew and afresh. Afresh to you to surrender. Even if we've just been in barely survival mode, we want to surrender and come back into a thriving mode. Whether there's one of us or five of us or 10 or 15, Lord, we've got far more than what Enoch had, and he did it for 300 years. And again, Lord, I know it's grace. It was grace. It was grace. Even without what we know as Christ and grace for us. And Lord, I'm saying for that tonight that we would want to live this way. We would desire, because Lord, that's really ultimately what it comes down to. Do we walk with you and are we pleasing to you? Is our heart and passion to really walk in intimacy and communion and honest trust and love and confidence in God? No matter what we go through, even as it seems like these are days of Gideon and seven years the Midianites and the Malachites have been stealing everything and we can't get ahead and everything is being thievery and people living in caves and And yet, Lord, you're coming on the scene, and I see it. You're coming on the scene, and you're saying, even to some of us, that we don't have that thinking or focus or feel about ourselves. Get up, mighty man of God, mighty woman of God. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And we can't help but say, God, if that was true, why all of this? And you didn't hear it. You said, no, get up. I'm going to help you beat the Midianites and the Amalekites, and I'm going to do it in such a way that man could take no credit. 32,000 is too much. 10,000 is too much. I will do it with 300. And you will wipe out that army and that enemy. And you shall reign with me. And you did it in a crazy way, Lord. No weapons. But a loud voice and a light. (laughs) And you turned the enemy on himself, God. And they chased him all around. And then the land had rest and peace. And, Lord, I believe that that's part of what you desire in this day, Lord. And I say do that with us tonight, will you? May there be a fresh hunger, a fresh passion for you. May there be that real desire, real desire, real desire to come back. To come back. Acknowledge you one more time, Lord. James says it, confess your sins and faults to one another so you can be healed. The enemy never wants you in humility or confession. He wants you to think you can make it on your own. And you know your way will never work. My way will never work. You can't have a divided heart. It can't be partial, little here, little there. It's all or nothing. Winky said it in the 60s. Either the Lord is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Lord, we want you to be Lord of all, every part of us, Lord. That's why every day is a fresh surrender to your will, a fresh surrender to your voice, a fresh surrender to your love, a fresh surrender to your word, a fresh surrender to remove pride and arrogance and rebellion and self-righteousness and excuses and all the rest, Lord, that we so easily get caught up in. And the arms of the Father are open so wide 
to draw us back. And I know for the majority, because it's only happened twice in all of history as we know it, but the fact is we can have this deep, deep relationship as Enoch had and others have had. And I can never promise, nor would I, that if you do that tonight, he'll take you home and meet him face to face as much as you might like that. But you know that that's what's coming. It's like my mom can't wait, and she says it all the time now. I'm going to see him. I'm going to be there. Dad's there now. I'm going to see him. And I'm like, yeah, and one day, Mom, I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be with you, and we'll be together forever because you and Dad were the first in your families with your parents to ever be saved out of generations and generations of alcoholics. And you're giving your life to Christ, and you're then giving me to the Lord at eight days that I'd become, as you said, a missionary evangelist. And it came to pass, no matter what it looked like all those years, you continued to pray and pray and pray, and here it is. You're faithful. You're true. And tonight I hear the Lord to say that that's what he's longing for. As much passion as you may have now, he wants to increase it. As much love as you have now, he wants to increase it. If there's very little, he will give it. He will give you that more. He wants you. He desires you. He longs for you. He craves for you. It's really one of the harder things at times to believe that God loves us that much. He cares for us and even enjoys us and wants to be with you, longs to spend time with you for you to really know him and for him to really get to know you and to walk in an intimacy that the enemy says you'll never have and you'll never ever get it. And yet you can, and I know because I have it, and I've had it, and I want more of it. And I want others to have it. That's what beats in me so much. I don't want it just for me. I want it so others who don't know it can have it. And I call you to that tonight. Say, Lord, that's what I want too. Can I have that? Would you give me that? Would you receive me back again tonight, Lord? And I would encourage you to speak to the Lord. Believe for the Lord tonight to have an intimacy, a care and a love and a walk. That wouldn't it be amazing that God would speak over you tonight? I love our walk together. You are pleasing in my sight because you're after me, not after this world. You're not out to just please yourself. You're out to bless and please me. And that gets a hold of him because, you see, without faith, it's impossible to even please him. And I would tell you, you must believe tonight he is who he says he is. You must believe in his attributes. You must believe his nature, his love and holiness. You must believe that he is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. He is. He is God. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the King of all kings. He is the lover of your soul. And he's deeply desirous of you so much that he's made the greatest provision for once in all time to buy you back, to redeem you, to call you his own. You are no longer your own. You're his. And if we will 
acknowledge that tonight and begin to walk that out moment by moment. Watch what the Holy Spirit will do with you. More than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine according to the power of God living and dwelling within you. Asking and believing for things that are beyond anything that you would have thought. And I know because we, by grace, have been living that way for years. Never thinking that I could have ever been anything, or Robin and I together ever be anything. And yet he specializes in it. or repent of something, anything, a lot of things. He's so present right now. He's so ready and willing. He's always willing. Christ intercedes before the throne of God every day for us, his body, to be more like him and to live like him and to share like him and to love others like him. He's always willing. He's always there before the Father as a reminder. He reminds the Father, even as he tells us to remind him of the cross. He said, it's my blood, Father. I shed my blood for them. They're mine. They're mine. He's mine. She's mine. That family's mine. I paid for them. I redeemed them. They're mine. And the Father always looks and reveres and sees that blood and sees his own son. He says, yes, yes. The same one that said, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance says, yes. He says, yes to you tonight. You will ask him. You'll talk and he'll say yes to you. 